Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you, all eight of you. That was great. Good evening, everybody. That is so much better. I'm so glad to be with you tonight. And I want to, before I get into the message, just thank you so much for praying for our family. Most of you know by now that uh, 15 days ago, uh, my mom, who had just had her 70th birthday, uh, had passed away. We had our funeral there in Atlanta, where I'm from. And I've received from you, so many of you, uh, cards and text messages and emails, and, and I can't even begin to describe to you how meaningful that is, how encouraging that is, how comforting that it is. Now, I've got to tell you, I know we all feel the same way, but I had an incredible mama. I really did. In every way, just loving and sweet, supportive, and uh, everything that you could ever want in a mom. And, and I know everybody thinks that their family are the best bakers, but I'm just telling you, my mom was the best ever like hummingbird cake. Have you ever heard of that? Seven Up cake, Texas sheet cake, and then my own personal favorite, carrot cake. She made the best carrot cake. How many of you believe Jesus is all about carrot cake? I know we're not supposed to eat it, but Jesus is all about carrot cake. And, uh, and you know, mom's recipes, I know a lot of people get their recipes out of books and cookbooks. Somehow mom's came straight from Jesus. I don't know how that works, but they came straight from Jesus. And it was a real special time for us. I've got a brother and two sisters, and we gathered from Nashville and Jacksonville. My oldest sister, she lives in Atlanta. And, and mom's last few days, uh, just being able to sit with her and love on her and tell her what a great, great mom she was and how much we loved her. And I'm so thankful, looking back, that God gave us that opportunity to be able to do that. And then while we were all together, mom had actually, we did not know this, my siblings and I, that mom had actually, while she worked at a funeral home outside in the suburbs there, had actually put all of her own plans together. She put all the details 16 years ago. So when we sat down with the owner and the funeral home director, you know, he, same guy we met with owned it, and, and he just said, hey, uh, your mom, she just planned it. And my mom was a planner. She was very detailed, very organized. And so he was looking at her file. He just sort of opened it up, and he said, well, your mom said, and again, she's written all this down 16 years ago. He said, your mom said that she wanted, when she passed, for so-and-so to do her hair. And... Uh, and he said, and, you know, that person lives in Florida now, but we're going to bring him back to do your mom's hair. And, she, and this is mom, so detailed, so organized. Uh, and she wants so-and-so to do her makeup. And you ladies can appreciate this, but she had a caveat with her own makeup. And she wants so-and-so to do her nails. And, and she had it all written down. And we only, we only um, did not cooperate. We sort of you know, next a couple of ideas that mom had, and it was primarily my sister's, and this is so like my mom. She had written down that she wanted to be buried in silk pajamas. <laughs> and, and my sisters were like, what? That is not going to happen. Mom is not going to be. And then the other thing, this is what she said, and we just all laughed when he read it. And she said that she would like to have two nights of visitation leading up to her service. And I said, isn't, isn't that like lying in state? And, uh, and we're just going to do one night. But she was a wonderful mom, and we had a great time. And it was very comforting. About three days ago, I got a text message from my oldest daughter, and I thought of, you know, my stepdad and all of us siblings. You know, how many of you believe that God speaks to people through dreams? Do you believe that? 
You know, I know sometimes we have bad dreams because we've had bad pizza. But I also believe that God speaks to people through dreams. And my daughter sent me a text message, and she said, Dad, you're not going to believe what I dreamed last night. And I tested her back, well, what was that? And she said, I dreamed that all of us, we were all just sitting around, and all the grandkids called her Little Mamma. And Little Mamma came walking up, and she was so happy, and she was dancing around and smiling. And then she just paused, and she looked at all of us, and here's what she said. She said, I'm so happy, and then she vanished. And I believe that my mom is happy because I believe that my mom is in the presence of God. And uh, thank you. I just, I know I took a little time, but I wanted to say thank you uh, so much for all of your prayers. It means uh, an incredible amount uh, to us. Uh, I love the Bible. I've read a lot of books. I, I have this weird habit. I'm detailed and organized like my mom. So anytime I read a book at the time that I'm done reading the book, and I'm reading about three different books right now, when I get through with that book, I will write down, you know, what is the name of the book, the author of the book, and when I finish the book. And I've, I've done this for years, and I know I read books before I started this, but I've read, and, and I'm not saying this to be braggadocious, I'm just telling you I like to read. I've now read probably over 400, maybe 412, 413 books, something like that. But I've got to tell you, you know what my favorite book of all is? It's still the Bible. It's still the Bible. And the Bible speaks to us, and I never grow wearisome with the Bible. And just like you, I want to read it every day. I want to get into it. I want to hear what God is speaking to me. It's the most interesting book that I've ever read in my entire life, and I keep reading it again and again and again. And isn't it amazing how God speaks to us again and again and again? And how many of you know uh, God's, God's people sometimes got in trouble in the Bible? How many of you know this? If you're looking for people that always got it right, then, you know, the Bible's going to be highly disappointing to you because people in the Bible did not always get it right. And, and I'm not even going to deal with the New Testament tonight. I want to just actually take two verses out of the Old Testament, out of the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and there's this thing that is really, uh, it's like a cycle that God's people in. You're going to see this next time you happen to read through the Old Testament. See if you don't see this cycle repeating itself again and again, where it would be like, uh, God's people would be like in utter, uh, you know, rebellion, uh, disobeying God, and doing everything it seems that was wrong. And then what would God do? Uh, God would allow, it wasn't necessarily that God was causing it, but God would allow some judgment to come to His people. How many of you have seen that in the Bible? God would allow some judgment to come to His people, and it wasn't because God did not love His people. Uh, he loved His people. He just wanted to see His people restored. And how many of you know that when God would allow judgment to come, what would God's people do? They would repent. They would come clean with God. They'd get back on the right track. And you know what God would do? God would do what God wanted to do in the first place, and God would just start blessing their lives again and again and again and again. And guess what happened? It seemed like the more blessing that they had in their life, the more that they forgot God, and they just started back in their disobedience. And you see the cycle again and again. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You see this in the Old Testament, this cycle, and then they'd get rebellious and defiant, and God would have to get their attention. He would, and this is going on and on. In, in this passage that I'm going to uh, look with you at tonight, we're going to sort of talk out and teach out, um, they're in one of those negative cycles where they're in like utter uh, rebellion, disobeying God, forgetting about God. In fact, at this particular time, they've been caught up in idolatry, idolatry actually from, from the Babylonians. 
And I want to give you a little bit of background because I think it will help you before we get to chapter 46. And if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Isaiah 46. The two verses that we're going to see will, of course, put up here on the screen. But let me give you just sort of the historical narrative of what is taking place, and then I think that it's going to help us. Now, God's own people had placed their hopes not in the one true God, not who was Yahweh, known to them as who would be Yahweh, but instead of doing that, they would put their hope, their confidence in these Babylonian gods, these false gods, gods like you've read about before in the Old Testament, like Bel and, and Nebo, the very idol gods that would actually, in the future, at a time past the time that we're going to be looking at, these same gods, you think about this, that the people of God were turning away from the one true God, and they were worshiping these gods, eventually these false pagan gods would be loaded onto odds carts and carried off into captivity. Now, you've, you've got to be gripped by the irony of that when you really think about what he's playing out here. The people in, in Israel... God's people got caught up in this. The people, God's people, uh, carried around these gods who could not save them. Now, how many of you know we really don't need to be serving a God or looking to a God for assistance and help if we can carry the God around? <laughs> and, that, and that's what they were doing. They could carry their gods around, these gods that would actually be taken, as many of them would be, into captivity. And so the people carried around these gods who could not save them when, rea when in reality the only true God actually wanted to, and here's the irony, that God, the one true God, actually wanted to carry them, wanted to rescue them, wanted to help them, wanted to be uh, intervening in their lives, being there when they needed Him most, and demonstrating His love and His power and His authority and His grace and His mercy at work in their lives, and instead of allowing them to be carried around by God, themselves to be carried around by God, they were carrying around their gods. In fact, early, and these are not the verses we're going to focus on tonight, but early in this chapter, in verse 1, it says, talking about these Babylonian idols, it said their idols are born by beasts of burdens. Now, what does that mean? It means that these idols, if you can imagine, would be loaded onto the backs of weary animals. They would be carried around. Verse 2 says, they, speaking of the idols, they're unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. And it's, and it's like the prophet is saying, and he speaks up. He becomes the spokesperson for God. And he's like, what is wrong here? What is wrong with this picture? Here is a God that created his people. Here is a God that loves his people. Here is a God that wants to help his people and encourage his people. And instead of directing their attention toward him, instead they're carrying around these gods, these pagan gods, these false gods, these Babylonian gods that could never help them in a million years. Now, what an unbelievable contrast between that, what we've been mentioning, sort of that background, and what you're about to see. And I want you to look at these two verses that we're going to talk about for the next few moments, these verses in Isaiah 46. Look at them, verses 4 and 5. It says this, even to your old age and gray hairs, this is God speaking, I am He. Even then, I'm going to be with you every step of the, even into your old age, when your hair is gray, I am He, and I am the one, I am He who will sustain you. I have made you. And here's what I was talking about a moment ago. I will carry you. That's what God is saying. You don't need to be carrying around these pagan gods. I'm the God that wants to carry you. And I will sustain you and I will rescue you. 
And then look at verse 5. And then God says, to whom will you compare me? I mean, who can compare with, can these idols compare with me? Who can count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? And God is just saying, hey, stop, time out. Look at this. What are you doing? I'm here. I want to carry you. I want to sustain you. I want to rescue you. And instead, you're just turning your head the other direction. But you know what the reality is? You and I can be that same kind of way, can't we? Have you ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand. I know I've done it. It's like when things were going really, really well in my life, like going exceedingly well in my life. And have you ever found this to be true in your life? You, you increasingly become a little bit more self-dependent. And maybe your prayer life is not as intensified. How many of you know this, that oftentimes we do our best praying and crying out to God in the middle of adversity? It's like when our back is against the wall, we're like crying, God, we need you. And God's saying, well, I've always been here. In fact, you think about this reality. If, if you ever feel like, well, well you know, I, I just don't feel close to God anymore. Well, let me tell you who's moved. It's not God. It's you and me. God's not moved. God's there. He wants to help him. That's what he was saying uh, to his people, and, and we're like that. I mean, you know, we cry out to God, and God, you know, intervenes in our life, and then we get casual, and, and you know, we get a little bit, you know, indifferent, and, you know, we just uh, don't pray the way that we know we should pray, or we're not into the Bible the way that we know, and allowing God to speak to us. Maybe we slack off in some areas of our spiritual life and development that we know that we need to give a lot of attention to. Now, let's go back to these verses for just a moment. And again, look at verse 4. Just look at verse 4. You're going to see it on the screen, and we'll take them sort of separately right here. This is God speaking. And in verse 4, he said, Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you. Look at these words. I will, what does it say? I will what? Carry you. I will sustain you. He says it again, and I will rescue you. I'm going to do that. God's saying, I'm going to be there every step of the way. Now, let's take as an analogy for just a moment, take a mother. Take a mother and her baby. I mean, you talk about outrageous amounts of love. You take a mother with her baby. And the Bible even speaks to this. You know, that, that a mother... You know, it talks about when, you know, in the throes of labor, you know, you ladies have been through labor. There's nothing pleasant about that. I heard a guy, though, say one time, he said, you know, he knows that God was in the room every time one of his children was being born because his wife kept screaming out his name, God's name, you know, like, oh, God, help me. And I was there every, you know, all three of our, we've got two boys, got a daughter. They're all three uh, kids right there in the room now with Audrey, the, who is now the baby, um, I can remember they told me, hey, just stand outside of the room, just hang around, and we're going to get everything ready, and then you, you can come on in. And so go ahead and put, you know, the scrubs, but you're going to need to do that. And so I'm, I'm just like, I want to be ready on the spot when they open the door and say, come on in, I want to be ready. So I actually went ahead and pulled up the mask. And how many of you know this is a bad combination when you already pulled up the mask and you're feeling a little adrenaline and a little nervousness and a little anxiousness. And, and I just, I was leaned against the wall, but apparently I just kept breathing heavier and heavier and more anxious and more anxious. And I, I stopped and I said, I think I'm about to hyperventilate here. I better just pull this mask down and just uh, clear my head a little bit. And you just see, you know, a, a, a lady goes through the, uh, the difficulty of labor, but when, you know, like the Bible says, it's like when the baby comes, it's like, what labor? You know, because 
and she cares for that child. And she loves that child. And then as the child grows older, what does she want to do? She wants to, you know, as the child grows older, let that child go. That's what we ought to go. Let them go out on their own. You know, raise them, care for them, be there while they're young. But as they grow older, let them go. You know, cut the apron string, so to speak. And yet, this is what God is saying in a contrasting fashion. He says, I'm going to be there. I'm the one true powerful God, and this is what he boldly asserts. I'm going to care for you, and I'm going to care for you from the very first breath until your last breath. Even, listen to what he said now, even to your old age and your gray hairs, I am he. I'm going to be there when you're born. When, you, when you're born and you draw in your first breath and, and life becomes a reality for you, you know what God, and God is not just saying this to Old Testament Israel. God is saying this to every one of us that is in this room tonight. God is saying, you know, I was there when you took your very first breath, and guess what? I'm going to be there when you take your very last breath. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to back off. I'm not going to become aloof to what your needs are from your first breath to your last breath. And, and you know, I was talking about mom a moment ago, and we saw this again and again in mom. While I was there the few days before she passed, and I had to fly back home and then fly back up. In, in those days, I, I would just, you know, sort of back away from the bed that was there in the li- living room of, you know, their home, and, and I'd just sit in the chair, and I'd just watch my mom. And I'd just, you know, and a lot was going through my mom my mind. I'm like, this is the last time I'm going to see mom and alive. And so I'm dealing with all of these emotions. And I'd look over at my mom, and this happened again and again, where my mom, near her last breath, she'd just, she'd just sort of put her hands like this, and she would say, I love you, Jesus. I praise you. I love you. And you'd hear her saying it again and again. And then it was almost like, and who knows what mom was seeing, who knows what mom was experiencing, but one day she was just talking, and, you know, we didn't know every, everything that she was saying, but this stood out to us. It was like just all of a sudden she said, hey, Jesus. It was almost like, what, what Eric? Well, hey, Jesus, there goes Jesus walking by. And so, you know, we were sort of uh, like that. But just, you know, from her first breath, from your first breath, until her last breath, to our last breath. God is saying this, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to abandon you. When God announces I'm He here in verse 4, He is declaring that He will always be the same. The perfect and powerful God who watches over each of us from the time of the crib to the time of the coffin. We're all getting older. I experienced this. I, I uh, you know, when I think about it, I'm a grandfather now. I mean, I've, I've got two grandkids now, and, and I wonder, how can that be? How can I be 34 years old and be a grandfather? It does not make any sense. Okay, maybe a little bit older than that, but how can I be a grandfather? And, and I realize I'm, I'm getting older, and just this, this becomes more and more resonating with my life. You know, God has promised not only to be with me in my early days and, um, you know, this stage of my life, sort of middle age, but He's going to be with me every step of the way to the, to the very end. He's going to be there. I love this story. I came across it some time ago. Perhaps some of you may have heard it. It was about an elderly couple, and they had dinner at one another's house. They had gone over to one of their, you know, their, their homes. And after eating... The wives left the table, listen to this now, the wives left the table and went into the kitchen. When the wives went into the kitchen, the two gentlemen were out, you know, in the living area talking, and one said, you know, to his buddy, he said, last night, my wife and I, we went out to this new restaurant in town, and it was really, really great, and I would highly recommend it to you. 
The other man said, well, uh, we'd love to go. You know, you speak about it so highly, we'd love to go. What's the name of the restaurant? And that man thought, and he thought, have you ever done this? He said, okay, yeah. I know I can't remember the name. The first, first man thought and thought and finally said, well, what's, what's the name of that flower? The, the flower that you give to somebody you love, you know, the, the flower that's red and has thorns. And the guy spoke up, and he said, do you mean a rose? And he said, yeah, that's the one. And then he turned towards the kitchen and yells out to his wife, hey, Rose, what's the name of that restaurant we went to last night? Well, one day, listen, and here's the encouragement. One day our mind may actually fail us, but how many of you know that our maker never will? He never will. He said, I made you. I'm going to carry you. I'll sustain you. I will rescue you. Look at this next verse. This is verse 5, Isaiah 46, 5. And this is what it says. To whom will you compare me? This is God speaking now. To whom will you compare me, says the Lord? Is there anyone else like me? And the obvious answer to that rhetorical question is what? No. God's not thinking that somebody's going to come up and say, well, you know, God, there's so-and-so out there. And and when God asks the question, he knows that there's no equal. He knows that there's nobody that can, can compare to him. He's like, is there anybody that's my equal? Is there anybody that could ever compare to me? And the obvious answer is no. How could God even remotely be similar to these idols that his people had turned toward, these idols that needed to be carried around? It is absolutely, when you think about it, friends, it is absolutely ludicrous, you would think, that God's own people could not discern the reality of what was playing out here, that people carry idols, but God, you think about this, carries people. People carry idols, but God carries people. Can things, this is what God in essence is saying, can things created seriously be compared to me, the God who creates all things? How many of you are glad that there's nobody that can compare with God? I mean, where are you and I going to put our hope? I mean, we're, you know, uh, I, I don't want to put my hope in the government, do you? I, I don't want to put my hope in, you know, you know, money or resources because how many of you know it could be here to, today and, and gone tomorrow? I don't, I don't want to put my hope in, in people, not that we should not have these loving, wonderful relationships with people, but we can't put all of our hope in people because how many of you know people and circumstances and things can change. The one thing that shall never change is God. And God has no comparison. He never has. He never will. God has never had a comparison. Here's a, here's a story that maybe uh, you would chuckle from, as I did when I read it the first time. It said, one day a, a group of scientists got together and they decided that man had come a long way and no longer needed God. So they picked one science, scientist from among them to go and tell God that they were done with God. They didn't need him anymore. So the scientist walked up to God and said, God, we've decided that we no longer need you. We're to the point that we can clone people and do many miraculous things on our own. So why don't you just go ahead, God, and get lost? And so God listened. In fact, God listened very patiently and kindly to the man. After the scientist was done talking, God said, very well, how about this? Let's say we have, you know, you and I, since you're the appointed one, we have a man-making contest, a man-making contest. And the scientist replied, okay, great. But then God added, now we're going to do this just like I did back in the old days with Adam. 
Scientists said, sure, no problem, and reached down and grabbed himself a handful of dirt to which God looked at him and said, no, 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 you go get your own dirt. This is my dirt. I created this dirt. There's nothing that can compare with God. It's an Old Testament scholar by the name of John Oswald. Listen to what he's written. He said, if people choose to make their own gods, they will have to carry what they have made. This is speaking right in the context of what is going on in Old Testament Israel. They will have to carry what they have made. When they put their God down, it will not move one inch from where it is put down. Would we compare, and this, the scholar asked the question, would we compare the maker and only savior of the world to that? And he says, surely not. But we live in an age of great comparisons, don't we? We compare everything. We compare houses and kids and cars and yards and talent and net worth and possessions and our favorite teams and jobs. And, and by the way, can I just add this to it? By the way, any of these things can become an idol to us. Just like these things have become steep in idolatry in the lives of his people. And then God asked, to whom will you compare me? Who are you really going to find that can compare with me? Any of you guys, and this is going to date me a little bit, but I'm already admitted that I'm a grandfather, so I, I don't mind that it dates me. Any of you guys, when you were younger, like elementary school age, did you ever play marbles? Did any of you guys do marbles? That was like a really big deal, you know, when I was in ele later elementary school, and so we would collect marbles, and we'd bring them to school. I don't know how we were able to do that, but, you know, the whole idea was to, to be good enough to take everybody's marbles. You'd draw a circle out on the playground, you'd line up your best shooters, and you'd have these clear marbles and these cat eyes and these ones, and the whole idea was to be competitive and clean house, and hopefully when the whole marble playing time was over, you walked away with a bag that was more filled with marbles and, you know, and so we were all pretty competitive with one another, except for one guy. And this guy, you just didn't want to play him. He had just clean house. You may have a full bag of marbles, but when he got through with you, you had this little dinky bag of three or four marbles left because there's no, listen, there's nobody that could compare to that guy. He was the best there was. And there's nobody that can compare to God. He's the best there is. There's nobody, and that's what he's saying. Who can compare with me? Who would you like and pick whoever you want? You know, how do they stack up? And then, again, it's the irony of it. Why would they turn to all these pagan gods? Why would they look to these other things? Now, that's sort of the text. Now, what I want to do is I want to take our, our last few minutes right here, and I want to get very, very practical, and I want you to really think through what I'm about to tell you. Two verses and you just have to think through. Anytime you're reading the Bible, it's just asking, you know, how does this intersect with my life? When you're reading the Bible through in your devotional time, here's one of the things. It's so easy, easy. We've all done this to say, all right, especially like if you're reading on a Bible reading plan like a lot of us are doing, or you're trying to read the Bible through in a year, and it's almost like, okay, read it, get down here, read it, read it, read it, check the box, move on. But there's so many powerful things that God does in our life when we just open up the Scriptures. And, and I do, like many of you, a Bible reading plan most of the time when I'm studying the Bible. But to be able to take it a step further than that and, and to say, you know, God, not what, what is it saying here, but what are you saying to me here? As I'm reading, God, what is the message you have for me today? How many of you believe God has a message for us every single day? A lot of times I've heard people say, well, God is not speaking to me. 
I don't hear God speaking to me. You know what I want to say? I want to just shake it a little bit and say, open the Bible. God has given you a whole book that he is speaking to you. He'll speak to you. You just open it up. So there's a couple of thoughts I want to leave you with before we're done, and that is who or what are you allowing to replace God in your life? What am I allowing to replace God in my life? And it's, it's quite easy to discern. It's not that difficult to perceive the priority of our life. You know how we can always evaluate. Think about this now. Hear me out. How we can always evaluate our life. Just look, look at a couple of things. Look at our time. How are we using How many of you know that how we use our time determines whether or not God's really a priority? I, I function under this conviction that we all, listen now, we all have enough time to do exactly what we want to do. You believe that? I can always, no matter how busy I am, no matter what, how chaotic my schedule may be, appointments and meetings and working on messages or whatever, I can always find time to do the things that I really want to do. So if I want to really evaluate, is God a priority in my life? You know where I can start? How am I using my time? How about this one? How am I using my money? God can say a lot of, you know, an observation of our life is how are we using what God has entrusted to us? I mentioned to you earlier um, that, you know, I was there, of course, when all three, you know, two sons and daughter, was, I was born. But you know what I noticed? Not a single one of them came into this world with a Georgia backpack filled with gold. Not a single one of them had a bulldog backpack just filled with a bunch of possessions. They came into this world with nothing, and we all leave. So what we have, we have on loan to us from God. And so if I really want to evaluate, is God a priority in my life? I've got to look not just at my time, but how am I looking, using money that God has entrusted? How am I using my treasure? What about our talents? You see, this is what we've got to know. To every one of us, God has given us a talent. All of us, you have a talent. Did you know that? All of you have a talent. In fact, I would imagine for most every one of you that is in here tonight, it may not be true of 100% of you, but most every one of you, you're already a follower of Jesus. And do you know what the Bible declares concerning that? Not only do you have a talent, not only do you have a talent, but that the moment that you became a follower of, of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit entrusted a spiritual gift into your life. You've got a gift. God is entrusted, and our gifts are not all the same. But we work together. It's the functionality of a body. When arms do what arms ought to do, and legs do what legs ought to do, and eyes do what, I, you know, and Christ is the head. That's what he said in this analogy of the uh, composition of the human body. And Christ is the head of the church. And, and so one of the ways that I can evaluate is God a priority in my life is how am I using my time? Because I'll always come up with enough time to do what I really want to do. What am I doing with my money? Is it all about uh, me consuming it? It's all about me. Or am I finding ways to be faithful to God, starting with a tithe, and then going beyond that to help those who are in need, to help the poor, to help missionaries around the world, to help kids. You get what I'm saying. And how am I using my talent? How am I using the treasure that's been entrusted uh, by God to me? How am I using my spiritual gifts? And you know what, friends? God is not… God, see if you can follow me in this thinking right here. God, in a way, when you think about it, He puts Himself at a disadvantage. And what I mean by that, he is not visible and he is not intrusion onto our life. God is not, listen friends, God will never do this. God is never going to show up at your front door and knock on your front door and say, hey, we're not having a lot of time together these days. 
God's not going to, you know, walk into our workplace and just say, hey, you know, I've, I've given you a talent. I've given you an ability. I've entrusted you a spiritual gift, and you're not really doing it. He's not going to walk down the hallway of your school if you're here tonight and you're a student. Just say, hey, what's, what's up? You seem to be distracted. There's so many other things that have become a priority and idle in your life. What about me? God's not going to do that. So in a sense, God has put himself at a disadvantage. And because we can all, all of us at times can be so shallow, so spiritually immature, you know what we often gravitate toward? We gravitate toward lesser things. Because we think, you know, if I put a lot of time and attention and focus here, this will help me to give me my identity. This will bring meaning and purpose to my life. And I'm just saying to all of us, all of us, me included, it is so easy, friends, to allow people or things to replace God in our lives. But if we want real meaning and purpose and identity and fulfillment, those are the things that only God can provide. And I think a lot of us, a lot of you have taken the same journey that I have. And if you ever waste some years trying to fill a God-shaped hole in your life that only God could fill, and you just thought, well, if I had this, then, you know, I'd have a sense of fulfillment. You know, if I, and, and so we just try, we try so many different things, and we're like, okay, well, you know, if, if I, you know, if I experience this, it's going to make, how many of you know there's a guy by the name of Solomon in the Old Testament, he took that whole route, and he just said, I got to the end, and it's meaningless, everything apart from God, he reached a conclusion, can't really bring satisfaction and fulfillment and identity and purpose and meaning, only God can do that. But man, we've wasted things. Confession time. How many of you have ever, all right, you know, I'm going to go ahead and raise my hand. Maybe that'll help you to relax. How many of you have ever at some point in the past bought something because you think, if I buy that, that will make me happy? Have you, have you ever done this? And it did. It did for about 48 hours. And that was it. So what are we allowing to maybe become a priority to replace God in our life? Let me give you a second thing, and then we're going to be done. Here it is, the second connection with this passage. And what areas of our lives do we need God to come to our rescue? And that's what God was saying. Why are you carrying around? It's like God is saying, really? Time out, time out. Why are you carrying around your gods? They're not really gods. People made them, and you're carrying them around. And you have adapted yourself, you know, to these, these pagan cultures, and, and you're carrying around these Babylonian gods, and you think that they're going to save you? They're not going to save you. You think they're going to help you? Really? They're about to be carried off into captivity on the bites of weary animals, and they were. And God is saying, I'm the one that can help you. So in what area of your life do you need God to come to your rescue? What's the greatest challenge in your life right now? And I would imagine, I would imagine that all of us have some sort of challenge right now. And, and let me just say it this way. If you don't have a challenge right now, I would still listen to what I'm about to say because if you don't have a challenge right now, you will have a challenge. You can mark it down. You will have a challenge. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could go from our birth date to our death date and never have a challenge? How many of you would be first to sign up for that one? I would. I'd be like, count me in. You know, I'd be budding in line. Put me down for that one. I want to go through all of my life without a challenge, but that's not reality. All of us have challenges. What's yours? Maybe it's a spiritual setback or a problem. Maybe it's a sin pattern. Maybe it's a little internal rebellion that maybe only you know about. May not even be observable to other people, but you know there's a little bit of rebellion going on internally. 
Maybe your biggest challenge tonight is heartache and disappointment. There's a verse that has become so meaningful, like you can't believe to me in these last 15 days, that God is close to the brokenhearted and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I just find you now with that reality that God is close to me right now and to my siblings right now, my stepdad right now. Because we're brokenhearted, we've lost mom. And God says, but I'm, I'm close to the brokenhearted. So maybe that's your challenge. Maybe, maybe it's heartache, disappointment, a death of a loved one, a broken relationship. Maybe you've gone through a divorce and it was the last thing that you wanted. Maybe it's the loss of an unfulfilled dream that you really wanted to harness that dream and it just seems that it slipped away. Maybe you're in a financial crisis. Maybe your challenge is you don't have a job. Maybe it's you're drowning in debt. Maybe there's no margin in your life. Maybe it's a physical problem. You're just saying, you know, my greatest challenge, Jeff, right now is a physical problem. It's an abnormality in my health that is going on. Maybe you've got cancer. Maybe you're not fully recouped from a surgery. Maybe you have a lingering illness. Maybe it just seems like every day is a day of chronic pain. Maybe it's something in your emotional life that is most challenging. Maybe you feel depressed and you don't even know why you feel depressed. Maybe you feel lonely and isolated. Maybe you're overcome by fear. Do you remember what God says to us in verse 1? I am he who will sustain you. And I will carry you. And I will rescue you. This is the beauty of God. That God will always take us through our greatest challenges. How many of you have already seen God do that in your life at some point? And he doesn't always do it the same way. Sometimes he will carry us. Sometimes he'll take us around it. Sometimes over it. Sometimes God just takes us right through it. But the end result of that is it builds our faith. So here's an action step and we're done. Focus our attention on the one who has no equal and is without comparison. And just ask him to come to your rescue. God, here's my challenge. Be honest with God. Can I just tell you, you're never going to bring up anything to God, no kind of private pain or challenge, and you can bring it up and say, God, this is my challenge, and God's going to say, are you kidding me? I never knew that. Really? Really? Are you serious? God's going to say, I know. I was just waiting for you to call on me, and I'll carry you, and I'll sustain you, and I will help you because I love you. Isn't it good to know that God is madly in love with his children? Can we stand tonight? All of us stand. God, thank you. Lord, all of us face challenges. You know about my challenges, my family's challenges. You know about every challenge that is here tonight. You know every hurt, every pain, every fear, every doubt, every worry. You know what we're faced with. And help us not to be like Old Testament Israel that we've looked at tonight who just, we just move our attention toward other things and we become steeped in other priorities that cannot fill us, cannot help us, cannot satisfy us, but that we will know that real help can only come from you. So we pray that you'd help us tonight. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, if you're like me, you're just going through a, through a time of great challenge right now, would you just lift your hand and say, oh man, I need some prayer tonight. I've got a challenge. I'm going through something that I need God's help. And I see so many of you lifting your hands. I want to just pray for you. And then we've got a lot of altars around the front here. And, 
And you know, I'll just say, if you've got a challenge, just let somebody pray with you. One of the things that's just keeping us motivated, inspired, and encouraged these days is just knowing so many people are praying for us and with us. And maybe you just want to come down and let somebody pray with you tonight. And we'll do that. So Father, we thank you that you are here and that you want to help us. And that every person here is outrageously loved by you because we are children of a most high God. And you're here. And you care. And you want to touch your people. And God, I don't know what their challenge is. I don't know if it's physical. I don't know if it's emotional. If it's spiritual. God, but you know what it is. And I just pray that you'll touch your people tonight. Remind them that you are a God that has no comparison. There's nobody that can compare with you. No power like your power. No grace like your grace. No help like your help. Nobody can do what you can do. And in these moments, as we gather around this altar, you're able to touch your people and help your people. And we thank you for that. So as the worship team begins to sing, and I'll come back up in just a couple of moments and dismiss us. But if you've got a need, you've got a challenge, and you just say, hey, before I go tonight... I want somebody to pray with me, to agree with me. You go ahead and come, and we'll pray with you. And then in just a moment, I'll dismiss us in prayer.